Welcome to Twinning Australia with your hosts, Matt and Nat. And welcome to another episode of Twinning Australia with your hosts, Matt and Nat. Second trimester, we're carrying on from our last episode when we were discussing what was happening. And this one, we're going to really start to look at gestational diabetes because it has a significant impact on pregnancy and Natalie unfortunately has had that in both her pregnancies. Just to give you a bit of background for gestational, Natalie is a very fit human, very healthy, has no any indication of having diabetes outside of pregnancy, but yet when she is pregnant, we notice that she's always getting gestational and Luckily enough, she's been able to manage it through diet and we'll explain in greater detail about this. For those people that are not sure, gestational diabetes is when you get diabetes only in the pregnancy and once the baby's coming, it goes, which is a real positive thing. But there's some tips, tricks, ways, some uncomfortable things regarding how it's diagnosed and like that. So we really want to focus on this one for those people that may get it, may not. So I'm going to throw it over to Natalie and tell us about your gestational journey. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's happened again for me personally. So as Matt said, I had gestational diabetes with my son. In the beginning, my obstetrician, they'll ask you questions like, do you have family members, uh, anyone sort of close in your family circle that have previously in the past been diagnosed with type 1, type 2 diabetes because apparently that puts you more at risk of getting gestational from a a history side of things. So we call that a precursor. So if there's a family history that you're more likely to develop that or be at risk of it. Yeah and that's where my obstetrician just as a precaution sent me for the blood glucose test. I think I was about week 12, 10 or 12 because I remember being very ill from you know pregnancy nausea and all that fun stuff in first trimester and having to do this test at that point and it happened in both pregnancies she sent me both times early which they do as a precaution which I don't mind doing that but the test itself is is a bit of a you know it's a bit of a pain especially if you have to go early at first trimester Uh, so the process is you have to fast from let's say nine o'clock the night before, try and book an appointment first thing in the morning to uh, get your blood tests. So you'll get three blood tests over a course of two hours and the first blood test they'll take and then they make you drink, I think it's about 300 mils or 200 mils of just like, it's 75 grams of glucose slash sugar in a drink. And look, personally, I... It's so gross because it's just, it's like a a little bit thicker consistency of like water and you basically have to drink the whole bottle within five minutes and the nurse will stand there and wait until you finish. Can I also say though, you don't really have a lot of sugar in your diet naturally. No, no. so So, it makes it much worse. (laughs) Yeah, so having a drink that's, as you said, what was it, 76 grams? I remember I kept the bottle once. Uh, because I wanted to bring it home and show Matt. I think it was in my first pregnancy because I just couldn't believe how much sugar was in this one little bottle. I'm pretty sure it was about 75 grams, but 
I could be wrong, but that's a lot of sugar. Like, I don't know, what's a can of Coke? Like, It's about 30 grams. Yeah, so, and I mean, Coke's got, you know, a little bit more flavour and all that to it, I suppose, but this drink is just pure glucose mixed with water. So it's pretty foul. Which I find really interesting when they're using this as a way to test to get results because how often do you have that much sugar in one hit I hope not very often. Well, I mean, some people would. <laughs> you know, if you eat relatively healthy, your body's not used to that much sugar. So I find it interesting that this is a way to – it's a way to monitor. Mm. And so the point is you drink this drink and then they actually put a timer on and then 60 minutes later another blood test and then 60 minutes after that you'll have another blood test. And those two – well, all of them – will show the readings as to how your body processes that drink over the course of that two hours. So the first one is your fasting level, which is, you know, you've been fasting overnight, so your sugar levels should be as per normal. And then you drink the drink and then that's where the next blood test and the blood test after that shows how capable your body is at processing all of that sugar when you're talking about the processing for our listeners what that means is diabetes works on insulin and it's how well you either produce insulin or that your body uses that insulin to open the cells to absorb that sugar to give you an understanding of what insulin is if you imagine a key and your cells are like doorways Insulin's the key that opens the door. So if you have a lack of insulin, it means you might only have 20 doors, but you've only got keys for 10. So that means that you're only opening half. That's if there's a lack of insulin or your insulin is not sensitive enough to do its job. That's essentially what they're testing for to see how well your body is able to absorb that sugar. And if it's not absorbing it and it stays in your bloodstream, that means those insulins not opening the key that gets that sugar into your cells to be used and processed by your body. So with that example from what Matt's given, that makes sense for a diabetic. Now, a diabetic doesn't lose diabetes overnight like a pregnant woman does after they have the baby. Literally, I think within 24 hours, 48 hours, it's gone. So the reason why that is is because I believe it's the placenta has an impact on that but majority of the reason is because of the hormones now the bad news for twin pregnancy means you've got double the hormones potentially double the placenta double all the things so you are much more at a higher risk of getting gestational diabetes so that's where it is very heavily monitored and you're kept they keep a very close eye on you when you are a twin pregnancy or gestational diabetes. Now, that doesn't mean they'll send you for a test in first trimester. I think that would only occur if you have a family history, but they'll certainly send you uh, in that second, third trimester period. That's a bit of an explanation on what gestational diabetes is. So now going back to the testing situation. So as I said, you show up first thing in the morning, one blood test, drink the horrible drink, which I need to make a note. I've actually got a couple of friends who have personally said they absolutely loved the drink. I think they are also slightly sugarholics, but so don't be too scared about, you know, my experience with not enjoying the drink. 
because we do have friends out there that really enjoyed drinking 75 grams of sugar in one hit. Shout out to Case. <laughs> so you've done the test, you go home, on the way home you've probably got yourself a snack, a few snacks because you're starving by this point. Uh, two hours is a long time so I recommend taking an iPad with a movie downloaded, TV series, uh, take a book because like the time goes by so slow because you've got to time it and you've got to watch the clock and you've got to go back to the desk when you start approaching each hour. So I highly recommend take something that's going to keep you entertained for two hours. So the results will go back to your doctor and, yeah, they'll, they'll let you know what the go is. Uh, I, I look, my doctor and I had a bit of a giggle before I went for the test because we knew what was coming. And we were like, huh, do we even bother doing this? But obviously I went, we checked, it happened. I, 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 think I recall I had four missed phone calls from my obstetrician office one evening and obviously I knew all what all those missed calls were about. So I called her back and she's like, yes, you got stunning results in this test. I think I was hitting like tens in the, in the, the two blood tests after the sugar. So basically the rating that they go by is I think something like your fasting's got to be around the five mark and then you're not allowed to hit over eight or even 7.5 for the following two blood tests. So, and if you land on the number, they will still diagnose you with gestational. So they're very strict in Australia. I think we looked up American rates and they're a little bit more lenient than what Australia is. But look, in the end, it's temporary. It's only... You know, by the time they diagnose you this late in the pregnancy, there's not that long to go till your your babies are here. So, you know, there's a few adjustments you might need to make and, and it depends on the path that you go down or what you're capable of going down to. So once you've been diagnosed with gestational, what happens next? Yep. So your doctor or the midwives at the hospital that you're seeing will call you in and they'll go over your numbers with you. So public and private, I think, run a little bit differently. So from my experience, obviously my obstetrician calls me in, we go over the results and she writes me a referral for an endocrinologist, which is a diabetes specialist. For the public system, I believe you go see the midwives or the the centre there and they'll send you to a diabetic centre, which obviously is, I would assume, is run by various endocrinologists and you'll just see whoever's there. Uh, available at the time that you get a booking. For me, I just saw the one endocrinologist. So I went and saw him the following week and he had a look at my results. Obviously, my doctor faxed all that information to him and he gives me a, a guide on how my glucose readings are going to be monitored and what levels we need to be keeping them within uh, in order to avoid medications. So In order to do that, you have to go out and buy a glucose monitor. And what that is, just a little little needle pen prick to your finger, draws a tiny, tiny little bit of blood on a testing strip and then it obviously tests your sugar glucose rate at that moment of time and then that gives you your number that you need to refer to. So what that glucometer is looking to do, as I mentioned before about the cells being open and how much glucose or sugar is being used can we make it clear though it's not just sugar a lot of people miss the understanding that we talk about it being glucose which is how the body processes sugar 
and carbohydrates, so bread, rice, pasta, vegetables, a lot of those are full of carbohydrates, which your body turns into glucose and it stores it as glycogen. Now, a lot of people just go, oh, diabetic, sugar. I've got to look for the sugars. You've actually got to look for the carbohydrates. I actually find, for me personally, and everyone's body's different, but for me personally, the carbohydrates are what push my glucose readings up more so than sugar. And it's very difficult. I will put it out there. It's very difficult to diet manage gestational diabetes. It is doable, but it also depends on your body. So I think I want to sort of take a step back as well and say, when you're diagnosed with gestational diabetes, which I'll put my hand up and I will say both times I cried, (laughs) even though I know and I understand it's not because I'm an unhealthy person. No, I haven't been feeding my fetuses the wrong foods and gorging on sugar. Can we just also clarify that diabetes type 2 is the lifestyle disease? So that means that you are either not doing enough exercise or you're not eating the right amounts of food. That's the unhealthy side of diabetes. If you're type 1, that's a genetic thing. So you're born and your body doesn't make enough insulin. So just because someone has diabetes does not mean they're unhealthy. But just want to put that out there for our listeners just in case we don't want to offend anyone. And I think also family history can come into play a little bit there as well, uh, even with type 2 diabetes. And I think type 2 diabetes, you kind of get a little bit later on, on in life and and look, it is more the lifestyle thing. But what the point that I want to try and make is, you know, and I'm a little bit of a hypocrite saying it because obviously I said I cried when I found out both times. But you just need to understand it's not your fault. You haven't done anything wrong. It's literally hormones in your body that are acting as blockers to your insulin and how glucose is absorbed into your body. That's it. Because when you're, when the babies are born... Hormones are gone, diabetes is gone. So you've really got to try and mentally note to yourself, it's a temporary thing, it's not my fault. I mean, it's always the hormones. We can blame the hormones on everything and I think this is one of the things that we can definitely blame the hormones on. So yes, as someone that's personally experienced it and has got upset from it, you know, when you're in the middle of it and and you're managing it, you reflect back and you you just need to make sure that, you know, you really understand that it's not your fault and it's temporary. And then work out what your next plan of action is. So as I said, there's three options really. Uh, You can diet manage, diet control the diabetes, which means when you're pricking your finger and testing your sugar multiple times a day, you have to keep under certain limits. So... Fasting, when you wake up in the morning before you have breakfast, you need to be either five or below. After breakfast, after lunch and after dinner, you can hit 6.7 or below. Anything above those numbers is classified as a spike and depending on who you see will tell you what your limit is for a certain duration. So when I was diagnosed and my doctor not just referred me to my endocrinologist, but they also refer you to your local health district centre. So basically that's a government hospital where they've got a team who will touch base with you, whether it's via online meetings or you can go into the centre and they'll do like a group meeting and just go over all of this with you anyway. But 
they will be the ones that will tell you how many spikes you can have at what duration. So I kind of had a bit of mixed messages. When I did the hospital's team meeting, we'll call it, it was online, they said we had to test four times a day. So your fasting, your breakfast, your lunch and your dinner. And if you hit three spikes within a seven-day period, you had to call their department and then they would have one of their doctors get in contact with you and then they'd go through your results and try and work out why that's happened. Now, following that meeting, I had my endocrinologist appointment and he had a look at my readings because they did ask that I keep a food diary and monitor my results leading up to that appointment. Having a look at how I was progressing with my numbers and trying to diet control. And I think also because he understood that I diet controlled with my first, he said that I'd only have to test twice a day and he sort of mixed up various times of the day when that would happen. And then if I had more than two spikes within a two-day period, that I'd have to call him and then we'd have to go through the results and see what we need to do. So that's one option is diet control. Then if that doesn't work or your doctor doesn't feel comfortable with you trying that option, there's two other ways that they can control it. It's either through medication, which is oral pill, or they can put you on insulin. Now, from what I heard, a lot of doctors will put you straight on insulin. It's a natural product medication uh, it doesn't pass through the placenta. I believe they see it more as sort of that natural, safer venture, whereas there is also medication you can take prior to doing insulin. There's a lot of question marks around it. There's a lot of people that aren't comfortable with it because it does pass, a little bit does pass through the placenta, but they do dose you at a lower rate. So they'll start you super low uh, before they ramp that up. Can I also say that with insulin, your body makes it naturally, so it's just topping it up, but it is in the bloodstream. Now, doctors, in my experience, and I know from our first one, and Nat hasn't really gone into the story, but her first pregnancy, the doctor for gestational just wanted to put her on insulin, and that was the answer, just Mm. insulin, just insulin. Now, Nat was able to comfortably diet control her readings and her blood glucose levels. Now, this new endocrinologist, which I'm much happier about because he understood that we wanted to diet manage and you've been able to do that pretty comfortably this whole Mm. time. Mm -hmm. So because you've been able to diet manage comfortably this whole time, he has been really good, not just Mm. wanting you to take insulin, and which there's nothing wrong with insulin. I do think we sometimes use it as the magic pill that – Take insulin and you can eat whatever you want. Which is not healthy. Correct. Like diet-wise and for the bubs. You know, from, I'm sure Matt can vouch for this one. My diet, our diet actually, because you eat pretty much what I eat because I cook most of the time, let's face it. We eat very, like as soon as I'm diagnosed with gestational, we eat extremely healthy because, look, if you want to diet control. I wouldn't say we eat extremely healthy. I think we change the amount of carbohydrates in our meal yes so instead of having you know yeah instead of having meat with a potato bake and green veg or something like that we will just have more meat and green veg and green veg Mm. or Mm. vegetables that are low carbohydrate yeah and i have 
as I said, I've managed it both times. And the the first dietitian that I saw, and I recommend that you see a dietitian because they will go through with you some really good tips on foods that you can use. So the first dietitian that I saw when I had it, she was amazing. She basically pulled out all these different cartons of foods and types of foods that we all love in our general life. And then she'd pull out another version of that packet, but in a different brand with half the carbs. So it came down to swapping out what you normally would have in your everyday with something that's not exactly the same, but it can be pretty close. Or it can be better. I know those coconut dark chocolate Mm. bites you have at the moment, or the wafers with the Mm -hmm. dark chocolate and Mm -hmm. coconut. Oh my God, they are delicious. You You actually find a lot of new types of foods to eat when you when you diet controlling because the rule of thumb that my dietitian gave me was manage your carbohydrates by grams per snack and meal and your readings should always stay within the range that you need it to so for example you wake up for breakfast breakfast is a main meal limit yourself to between 35 to 40 grams of carbohydrate for that entire meal so that's not a lot when you think about it. So um, basically cereals and porridge and two pieces of toast, very, very limited. I would recommend to get an understanding is go and have a look in the bread aisle, pick up a loaf of bread, look at your little food chart and see what it says, how many grams is per serving. Usually they'll say two slices of bread per serving, which is fine. Always check, always check the serving size because I've been caught a couple of times thinking something's a single serve and then the marketing has just been really good and they've said, oh, no, this will feed four people and I'm like, that's rubbish. Anyway, personal problem. (laughs) So, yeah, so your main meal between 35 to 40 grams carbohydrate and then have a snack in between that, which you limit that to about 15 grams of carbohydrate. Then you go back again to your main meal lunch, that 35, 40 gram range, etc. So have your breakfast, have a snack. Have your lunch, have a snack. Have your dinner, have a snack before bed. So it's you're constantly eating, but you're also maintaining the amount of carbohydrates you have. So you won't go hungry, but you won't feel as full as what you used to when you eat you know, four, four slices of bread at lunch. Like, Can I also just say that Whilst this is advice and we're going on our own experience, please make sure that you go and see an endo or an endocrinologist and a dietitian because everybody is different. Your body is unique and the way you react will be completely different to how Natalie has reacted. So please don't just take our word for it. Make sure you go and check that out. And a perfect example to that is when I was in the group session uh, not that long ago where they were talking about gestational diabetes and, and how we manage it one of the other pregnant ladies that was in the group this was her second time as well having gestational and she said she really really struggles with her fasting in the morning so in order to sometimes manage your fasting levels your supper or that snack after dinner the night before can have a huge impact on what your fasting rate will be in the morning Even myself, I've noticed, even if I eat something that is within that 15 gram carbohydrate snack range, depending on what it is, 
it can potentially sometimes just my fasting the next morning is no good. And the, the hardest part about diet controlling gestational diabetes is your fasting levels because it's, it's almost nearly impossible to manage what your fasting level will be the next day. Now, there's a couple of tips that I have done to try and manage that. So if I find after dinner or if I, if I had a you know, pretty good carb dinner, still kept under my rating, but it was, I was still hitting a 6.7, which is your absolute limit, I found that I literally just ha- would have to skip supper because I needed that extra time for my blood glucose to go down and reach five and below by the next morning. Um, Now, another tip that I found has worked for me personally, and again, it doesn't work for everyone, but it's just something that you can try. You can always try these things, is I'd eat something really natural, heavy for supper. So one night I literally ate steak and cheese for a supper and it literally had no impact to my fasting the next morning. So You'll sort of work around these things and, and you'll, you'll have to test, you'll have to do a couple of days of eating certain things, seeing how your body reacts. As Matt said, everyone's different, I'm different. I can give you hints and tips, but I can't guarantee anything's going to work. But I think from the beginning, it's really worth the try to diet control. And if you have a doctor, unless you're hitting like super bad numbers, which some women can because obviously everyone's different, but I would... Really have a firm conversation with your doctor if on the first appointment they're like, we're just going to pop you on insulin, which I've had that experience with my last pregnancy. And I actually begged her. I said, give me two weeks give, or give me a week and I will write a food diary. I will test as many times a day as you need me to and we'll go over my numbers at the next appointment. And if I can't manage it, fine, but just give me a, just give me a chance. She was extremely hesitant. Like, I think, honestly, that second appointment I went to with her, she was loading the insulin gun. Like, she was ready to start jabbing me. And I was just opening my food diary and being like, but tell me where I have hit these horrible numbers when I've kept within the guidelines. And her response was, yeah, but don't you want to have that chocolate cookie snack before bed? Like, you shouldn't have to refrain yourself from having it. And I was like, I don't want to eat a cookie to have to have to go on insulin. Like if I can avoid the cookie and the insulin, that's my preference. Don't make the choice for me. Let me let me work that one out myself. So again, just go through your doctor's advice always. But if it comes a moment where you think you can do it and you're educated, you've seen a dietitian, you know you can manage your numbers, I say just give it a go. So I guess to wrap up, gestational how does that possibly impact the birth this time around or the plans around the birth so when you have gestational diabetes there can be risks to the baby babies look be mindful of doing the old dr google and and you know seeing what the risks are i i mean i again i'm a hypocrite i do it all the time but it can sort of worry you especially if you've just been diagnosed like It's a lot to take on, but it can impact the babies. So it is something that you need to take seriously. And again, if you're going to diet control, don't cheat because there's a reason you need to make sure that everything is going according to plan by your doctors. How it affects the babies is it can cause you to grow bigger babies. If you're having 
or planning to have a vaginal birth, you don't want babies that are bigger than what they necessarily need to be because that's not going to be fun for anyone. And they can also impact the baby's glucose, their own glucose levels when they come out. So if you are a diagnosed gestational diabetes patient, they will take the babies and potentially do close monitoring depending on what medication you're on or depending on how you're you've personally managed your diabetes to that point at the birth. And yeah, look, some babies can be born with with high sugar levels because they're struggling to sort of process just like obviously mums had the issues. So there can be a few impacts on the baby babies and that's why it's, it's really important to listen to your doctors. If something doesn't feel right, get a second opinion or just talk through your feelings or the approach that you want to take with your doctors. I believe, yeah, like if you go on medication, they may do more monitoring of the babies versus diet controlled. But again, that just depends on your specialist and your hospital and and how they manage these situations. So just have a chat to your doctor about what impacts different options can have, especially at the birth and for the babies. So to start wrapping up this session, I would like to just put it out there that on our Instagram and Facebook page, I'm going to share some various recipes or guidance and tips on how I've managed my gestational diabetes. I've swapped certain foods out. As I mentioned, I started baking a lot, swapping out flour and adding almond meal. It's not the same, but when it's been a while since you've had a good slice of bread, sometimes you just want that piece of food that's going to you know mop up the sauce on your plate after dinner. I think you made roti the other night, wasn't it? None. I made... So the diet that I sort of try to follow is, is keto. So it's limited carb. Well, I don't go as hard as keto because you still need some carbohydrates. You just you're just picking sort of a healthier version of the carbohydrates. You're finding that nice balance between yes. limiting the carbs but eating, you know, nice food because we all want to eat nice food. You don't want to deprive yourself of of eating. That's not going to work. But yeah, if you if you want a diet control, then there's there's probably a few recipes you want to try out. Have a look at keto recipes, and if you want. You can just halve the almond flour and add normal flour. So you can play around with the recipes and sort of beef it up a bit more to a bread consistency rather than like full keto because some things are just not very nice. But it depends on how desperate you get, I suppose, towards the end. So I'll be sharing some recipes on our social media pages on certain things that I've cooked that have helped get me through, like savoury muffins, cookies. Uh, As Matt mentioned, I even tried out some keto naan bread just to have with our curry. And, you know, when you add it with the curry sauce, you don't really notice it too much. So um, I'll, yeah, we'll we'll make sure to share some recipes and, and some guidance on those things just to help you guys out and those that are diet controlling. By all means, also feel free to reach out to us through our email or messages if you need further guidance or advice. And yeah, we're happy to help. As we said, we're not doctors, but we can share with you our personal experience on how certain things have worked for us. All right, fantastic. I think it's a good place to end it. Uh, A lot of information there for people to listen to regarding gestational diabetes. So I hope this episode helps anyone that might get diagnosed with gestational and are unsure what the next steps are etc so i hope this one helps and we will catch you guys next time thanks for listening bye 
you have any questions for us here at Twinning Australia Podcast, please feel free to send us an email. Our email address is twinningaustraliapodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, you can get in touch with us via our social media accounts, Facebook at Twinning Australia Podcast and Instagram, Twinning Australia, all one word. Thanks for listening and we hope to hear from you soon.